This morning, I want to talk about it. I want to talk about it. What is, uh, what is it? Uh, it is extremely, uh, extremely powerful. It's something that every single one of us bow our knee and bow our hearts to. Every day of our lives, whether we want to or not, whether we like it or not. It's something that if we think about it, it has caused us to do things that we didn't think were possible. Things that we swore we would never do. Things that we didn't think were possible for us to ever do. It's something that costs us more than we're willing to pay. In fact, if we were to think about all that we have invested into it and the sum total of money that has gone into it, we would be absolutely, utterly shocked at the power that it has over our lives. It keeps us longer than we want to stay. And it takes us further than many of us were willing to go. What is it? Uh, It is hunger. It's hunger. And it's a powerful thing. You ever sit down at a restaurant to eat and you were so hungry, you kept ordering all this food and at the end you got your bill and you're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that I was going to be paying this much money. Or you sat down to eat at a buffet and before you knew it, three hours was up and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm late for my next meeting. I didn't think I could stay that long. It takes you further than you're willing to go. Maybe you heard about this restaurant and you said, oh my gosh, I need to get it. I need to go and eat there. You thought it was an hour away only to realize that it's two, three hours yet. This is the power of hunger, and it's such that the advertisements say, you're not yourself when you're hungry. It causes you to do things that you never thought you could do. You never dreamed were imaginable. You look back on the effects that hunger has on your life, and you say, I had no idea that I could be capable of doing such things. The other night... Olivia and I, we ate dinner, and then uh, we decided we need to get some exercise. So let's go walk around the outlet malls. And so because grandparents were in town, we uh, made a very difficult choice to leave them uh, with the kids, and then we left. And we went out to one of the local malls. And as we were going, we went into one store, uh, and then we were walking by the food court. So let's stop into the food court for a second, get some ice cream to get it early so that we could walk it off as we go around feeling a little bit sluggish. And so... Uh, we got into the food court, and the first store we walked into was an A&W store. Oh, so good. A&W. And as soon as I walked in, hunger began attacking me. And I just had dinner like an hour and a half ago. I just started feeling hungry. And everything on the menu started calling my name. Everything looked so good. The ice cream there, the cheeseburger, the french fries, the root beer float. Even the corn dogs looked appealing to me. And so we decided we're going to get one root beer float and one thing of cheese curds. (laughs) We waited and we waited. took a long time. They had to milk their own cows and they make it. It took forever, it seemed like. Just so hungry. Got the stuff. And as we're walking out, I was holding these in my hand. And I thought to myself, this is not the reason why we came here in the first place. We wanted to exercise and we're doing the exact opposite of that. As we drink a root beer float and we eat our fried cheese curds. Hunger has power to cause us to do things that we never thought we could do. Things that we never intended to do, things that we never dreamed of doing. The fourth beatitude that we want to look at today talks about hunger. And it gives some very important lessons in life that I think we need to hear in order to understand 
the ministry of Jesus and why he came and what that means for us. Uh, Matthew 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. These are the Beatitudes, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon uh, in all of the world that has ever been preached. We're going to read uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. This is God's word. Now, when he saw the crowds, is talking about Jesus, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word. If you look at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, look at it in your, in your Bible, if you've got your Bible open. Uh, verses 3 through 10 are very poetically laid out. Okay? And then verses 11 and 12 are just kind of like a paragraph. Verses 11 and 12 are commentary on the last beatitude. So there are eight beatitudes shown in verses 3 through 10. And you remember that as Jesus is talking, he's talking to his 12 disciples gathered on a mountainside, overhearing his talk to his disciples are the crowds, right? So he's speaking to those who are followers of Jesus, who have given their lives to him. He's talking to Christians saying, this is what Christian life is all about. This is what the beatitudes are about. He also says this is what life in the kingdom is about. Verses 3 and verses 10, the bookends, the sandwich, the meat in the sandwich is the kingdom of heaven, saying that everything in between are descriptions of the kingdom of heaven. You see that verse 3 and verse 10 is the bookend, the sandwich pieces that tell us that the Beatitudes are about life in the kingdom. And then even further you break it down, the first four Beatitudes form one unit and the second four form another unit if you look at the end of verse six which is our main verse for today blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled and then verse 10 the last one blessed are those who are persecuted why because of righteousness the first four form a unit built upon predicated upon this idea of righteousness and then the second four are a second unit that deal with the idea of righteousness again. But the first four Beatitudes we look at move, to, this is the fourth one, we, we, we hit a point of, tr of transition where everything up until this point in time was a movement from emptiness to now a sense of fullness. Okay? You are poor in spirit. You have nothing. You've got nothing. So you mourn over your sins. I have nothing to offer, so you're, you're sad, you're devastated, you cry, you weep over it. And because of that, you're emptied of your pride. It's a sense of meekness. So emptiness, 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 and then you hunger and thirst for righteousness, then you'll be filled. In order for you to be filled, you have to first be emptied. So starting in the fourth beatitude here in verse 6, there's a transition from emptiness to fullness, from lacking to satisfaction, from having not to having fullness. And then the last four Beatitudes talk about the expressions of that fullness. Because we're full, this is what 
we're going to look at. This is what we're going to look like. So what are we talking about? Two things that are extremely important that have clear relevance, not only for the kingdom citizens, but for all of us, even people who don't know Jesus. Very important to understand. The first thing, if you want to be satisfied, then you've got the hunger for the right things. If we want to be satisfied, then we've got the hunger for the right things. So there, this idea of hunger, so important. So important. Why? Because it tells us two very crucial things. You know what hunger tells us? It tells us, one, that you're alive. If you're alive, then you will hunger. You will get hungry. When our first daughter, Manny, was born, she was a C-section. They had to take her away. Um, and so I was with Manny while Olivia was in the recovery room. And it, she was there for about half an hour to an hour. And the whole time... Manny was crying, 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 crying at the, so loud. And I didn't care. I was so excited, you know, baby's born. And so I was recording. I have like, and I, I was, yeah, I posted like eight five-second videos in a row on Facebook of Manny crying in like different positions from different angles because I was so excited. But she was crying, crying, crying. And we had a friend, Dr. Youngbyon, who's he's in Texas now, but he was there with me to try and comfort me and to make sure that everything was okay. Oh, this is normal. He had his like blue gloves on. You know, they have blue gloves that the doctors wear. And he put his pinky in Manny's mouth, right? Not like Austin Powers, but he put it in her mouth. And she started sucking on it. And as soon as she sucked on it, she was calm. I was like, oh, for two seconds until she realized that milk was not coming out. And then she started crying again. Why? The fact that she's alive meant that she was hungering, that she was hungry. Listen, if you're alive, you're going to get hungry. That's just the reality of life. Hunger is important because it tells us that you need something. It's like a dashboard on the human body that says your food meter is empty, your stomach is empty, you need to eat, right? you need to fill it. This is what hunger does. It tells us that you're alive. The second thing that hunger tells us is that you're healthy. It tells you that you're healthy. If you are a healthy person, right, then you will eat something. In time, you'll work that off doing whatever it is that you do, and then you get hungry again. This is normal. Right? This is what normal people do. If you're not healthy, if you're sick, one of the first things that people begin to realize when they're sick is, oh my gosh, I, or the first questions people ask if you're not hungry is, are you sick? If you don't have an appetite, then it means something's not right with you. It means something's wrong. You've got a virus, you've got an illness, you've got some kind of, uh, something wrong with you if you ain't hungry. Okay? You go a day, you go two days without being hungry, there's something wrong with your health Something wrong with your bodily system. Hunger is important because it tells us that one, you're alive, and two, you're healthy. But when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, he's not talking about the kind of hunger and thirst that we talk about these days. When we're hungry, we easily throw out the word, I'm so hungry, I could eat a horse, or I'm so starving. But I don't think we really know in our day and age of Burger King and Chipotle and, and credit cards and living with mom and dad. We don't really know what it is to be hungry. Not in the hungry sense where oh, I'm so hungry, I'm going to open the refrigerator and oh, there's a piece of cheese and, and bread and, 
and ham, and I'm going to make a sandwich, and my, my hunger is gone. That's not the kind of hunger that Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about a run-of-the-mill, open up the fridge late at night, I need a midnight snack at 3 in the morning kind of a hunger. When Jesus talked about hunger in the time that he was talking, he's speaking to a culture that understood the very real threat that hunger was. You know, one of the great miracles that Jesus does in the Bible in the Gospels, is the feeding of 5,000. You know why this is so amazing? First of all, it's 5,000 men. They, they say if you add up the women and children, maybe ten to 15,000 people. But think about this. How in the world would 5,000 men be hanging out on a countryside for a couple of days listening to someone's teaching? I'll tell you why. Because they didn't have a J-O-B. It's like Friday. They didn't have a job. You got no job, then you've got no money. You got no money, then you got no food. That's why Jesus says, send them home. Or else they're going to pass out on the way. You give them something to eat or else they're going to pass out on the way home. Why? Because there was no McDonald's that they could stop by. No Panera they could stop by. So Jesus had to make his own Panera with fish filet sandwiches that he was giving out to people. That's why it was such an amazing miracle because people literally didn't have food. So when Jesus says, it is, it, when Lord teaches how to pray, he says, give us this day our daily bread. When we think about that, this is what I think about. Give us this day our daily bread really means thank you, God, for giving me the daily bread that you've already given to me for every day of my life. That's what it means to me. Thank you for your provision because you've given me everything I need to eat, not only for all the years of my life, but all the years remaining to come. That's what it means to me because I think I can get food anytime I want, anywhere I want. But in those days when Jesus is talking, he literally means pray to your father. Give us this day our daily bread. Because if you don't give it to us, then we're going to starve. Because they know what it is to actually be hungry. They know what it is to hunger. And to, so so the, the hunger that Jesus is talking about is not a casual longing. You know, sometimes people are... <laughs> there, there's a time when I was um, fasting for an extended period of time uh, fasting for just a revival in our area, revival in our in our nation, and I was uh, fasted for uh, for um, more than a couple days. And I remember uh, I was working in in a property management, real estate at the time, and people would come into my office and they would say things like, "Man, I'm so hungry. Are we ready to go to lunch?" And another person would say, "Yeah, let's go. I'm starving. I haven't eaten since eight o'clock." And I'm thinking in my mind, "I haven't eaten since June, <laughs> but..." That's what it means to be hungry. It's something that we don't really know because we can get food anytime we want. When Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger, it's a critical longing, a crucial longing where he says, if I don't eat, then I'm not going to make it. It's the kind of longing that causes the Israelites to say, if manna doesn't fall from heaven each day, then there's no food for us to eat. It's that kind of a sense of hungering that he's talking about. You know what happens when you hunger in that way? You get a little bit crazy. There's a, I don't know if you guys heard the story of Daniel Chong. He was a University of California, San Diego student. Anyone heard of this? This was in the news recently. He was at this party, which he shouldn't have been at, and he was doing drugs, which he shouldn't have been doing, and police came and they did a bust. They raided that place. And he was smoking weed, and so he got put in jail in a holding cell until they could book him they said you just this is where you're going to be for a couple minutes we'll come and get you couple minutes turned into five days they forgot him 
He yelled and he screamed. He kicked. He banged on the door, but nobody heard him. So for five days, without food and without water, in this holding cell, he's there. And so here's what they said he did on the police report. It said that he found in a blanket methamphetamines, which is a, a drug he shouldn't have been, for, for some reason was there. He ate that. And then he urinated and drank his urine in order that he would not be dehydrated. And when they found him after five days, they, they got in big trouble, obviously. But he was in ICU for four days because of dehydration and his heart almost collapsed on him. That's the kind of hunger. That's the kind of hunger that Jesus is talking about. He says, if you can hunger in that way, do you know this kind of hunger? A desperation. There's a kind of hunger that we sing about in, in the Dominican Republic. There's a song that says, I'm hungry for you. I'm so hungry that it hurts me. You ever hungered in that way? A hunger where it hurts you. I, you want it so badly that it makes you weak. It debilitates you in your longing for the fulfillment of that which you hunger for. And he's saying this is what it means to hunger and to thirst. And his promise is if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, then you will be filled. But it is all predicated upon this one massive condition that you hunger and thirst after the right, after the right thing. A few, years about, a few years back, it was actually many years back, probably about eight or nine years ago, uh, there were these two young, young children, one of them named Timothy and another one named Chloe. Right? And they had an auntie at the time, her name was Joyce. Right? They may or may not still be here. But at one point, this young lady named Joyce had a dog named Joey. And so Timothy and Chloe went over to Joyce's house and they wanted to feed Joey. They wanted to give Joey a treat. And so she had these biscuits and she gave a biscuit, one to Timothy and one to Chloe. And she said, go ahead and feed Joey. And so Timothy gave his biscuit to Joey first and he ate it. And then it was Chloe's turn and she didn't have her biscuit. And so Joyce thought, well, she couldn't have already given it to Joey. And she said, Chloe, where's your biscuit? And her red-faced, embarrassed response was, in my mouth. <laughs> it seemed like a great idea at the time. But partway through as she was chewing, I bet she thought maybe this wasn't the best idea. Now, you could want something, but unless what you want is the right thing, you're not going to be satisfied. You see, the challenge that much of our world lives in, that we're so hungry, but we're hungry for the wrong things. And so we sing with the, the Rolling Stones, I can't get no satisfaction. I don't know who wrote that. I can't get no satisfaction. You see, here's what Jesus says. Listen, you hunger and thirst, for righteousness, you are blessed. You're satisfied. But most of us have twisted that around. And we hunger and thirst for happiness. And we hunger and thirst for satisfaction. We hunger and thirst for fulfillment. And we realize that the promise has gone void.
that I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied. Because you twist this order around and it's not going to come to us. You see, happiness in pursuing happiness will always be an elusive pursuit because it is always a byproduct of giving up happiness for a greater pursuit. And when you hunger for that, that's when the blessing comes. That's when the satisfaction comes. That's when the deep-rooted happiness that all of us long for and were created to live in becomes a gift that is promised to us. It's not wrong for us to want to be happy. In fact, the founding fathers knew that. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And we've been endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our founding fathers knew that. But they also knew that this was not going to be found apart from Jesus Christ. It's always a byproduct. People seek happiness all the time. It's why 97 million people came to the city beautiful last year as tourists. The most of any place in America, more than New York City. Why? Because of the lure and the temptation of the happiest place on earth. I said this before. I was just eavesdropping on conversations that people had while I was at Disney World. And if if. If anyone were to take these sound bites, put them together, there's no way that you would ever think that they were at a place called the happiest place on earth. Right? This stinks. Where are we going? When are we going home? I don't want to be here. I'm uh, this stiff. You would never think that was, a ha- and that's what life does to us. You seek happiness, you'll end up longing and grasping for bubbles that have been blown into the air. As soon as you think you've got it, it disappears. You want to be satisfied? We want to be satisfied? You've got to hunger for the right things. And Jesus tells us what the right things are. So the second thing, this is the last thing we see. To hunger and thirst for righteousness means that we have a longing for the way things ought to be. We don't use this word righteousness much these days outside of church. When's the last time you had a conversation with your friends at school? And the word righteousness came up in a talk. You're hanging out at work. You work wherever it is, at your business, your workplace. And I was like, dude, you're such a, you're so filled with righteousness, man. You're awesome. No one talks like that, right? There's a, there's a music group called the Righteous Brothers. They were genuinely righteous in their own way. But no one really uses that kind of language. So what does that mean? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We don't know what that even means. And so maybe that's why we are so often left lacking. But the word righteous means, the original language, it literally means conformed to the norm. Be conformed to the norm. There's not a lot of hungering and thirsting after righteousness in our world these days because we don't know what's normal. (laughs) Because we've taken that which is abnormal and we've twisted it and made that normal. This is the world that we live in. We live in a world filled with fake stuff and cheap stuff and redefinition of that which is normal. How do you take a God-given institution called marriage, one male, one female, covenantal relationship in the eyes of God, how do you try and redefine that? Does that make any sense? We've taken that which is abnormal and twisted and wrong and tried to make that normal. A hungering for righteousness is a longing for the way that things ought 
to be. How they ought to be. One way that you see it is you go back to the Garden of Eden, pre-fall, pre-sin. Adam and Eve had an intimate relationship with God. They walked with Him and they talked with Him and they had an intimacy with Him. That was so real. You long for that. They had a relationship with each other where there was no lying. They were naked and unashamed. You long for that kind of a relationship with people. Where you're not saying one thing but really meaning another thing. Oh, you look so beautiful today. And then at the same time you're thinking, how could she think about wearing that in public? Don't you long for a relationship where you're not criticizing and judging and looking down? Do you long for that? That's what it means to long for righteousness. Another way to see righteousness is you, you see within the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about righteousness four other times. Four other times he talks about it. And if you look at those four times, you could build a working definition. Three things that it means. The first thing that it means, and it's very similar to what we just mentioned in the Garden of Eden. The first thing is that you have a right relationship with God. You want that? You want to be right with God? Or are you okay not being right with God? It says the people who seek to be right with God, they will not only be satisfied, but they're the ones who will be truly happy. Because that's the way that we were meant to be. That's the way we were were created to be. It's a longing for the way it ought to be. We have a right relationship with God. This doesn't just come because you say, I want a right relationship with God. How does this come? Again, this is the fourth rung on the ladder. It begins by recognizing your utter poverty of spirit. It continues when you mourn over your sin. It carries on when you realize that you have nothing to boast about and you live in the meekness of spirit, the kind of meekness that will one day inherit the earth. And then from there you realize that I can't live without God. Understanding the gospel causes us to long for a right relationship with God. The second thing that it means is that we long for holiness in our lives. I think this is where a lot of evangelical America needs to hunger for righteousness. To long for holiness. Do you long to be holy? Do you long to be holy in your ethics? Do you long to be holy in your relationships? Do you long to be holy in how you treat people? Do you long for holiness in that way? Or are you okay to cut corners here and there? To give in to sin here and there? To say it's okay because he drowns them all in seas of crimson. Is that okay with you? Or do you long for holiness? To not say here's the line of sin. I'm going to get as close as I can to it without crossing it? Or do you say, there's the line of sin. I'm not going to come within 15 yards of that thing because I want to guard my holiness. Where do you stand in light, in view of sin? There's an animal that is native to Asia and regions of, of northern Europe. It's called the ermine. The ermine is, is, is a favorite of hunters because of its white fur. Beautiful white fur. And the reason it's so white is because the ermine does everything it can to fight to keep its fur pure. Do anything it can to stay away from dirt and things like that. And so the way hunters catch the ermine is not by setting a trap 
and aha, we got you. But it's by finding where the ermine lives. And all ermines usually typically live in trees that are hollowed out, in the hollow of a tree. And when they are chased, they know not but to run home. And so they run into their tree. The what, so what hunters do is they take mud and dirt and they rub it all around the edges of their tree, right where they squeeze in the hole. And then they send out the dogs to chase the ermine, and the ermine will invariably run home. And as it runs up the tree, it sees that their home has been tainted by that which is impure. And they will do anything but enter into that home for fear of tainting their purity. And many ermines have gone to their grave because they seek purity more than they love life. Should that not be a picture of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? Should that not be a picture of the children of God who have been told, be holy because I am holy? Not compromising in our sensuality, not compromising in the way that we talk about people, not compromising in our, uh, in our ethics and our morals and doing what we want to do because other people tell us it's okay to do but longing for holiness. You hunger for that child of God. And then the third thing that it means to be righteous is to long for right relationships with people. I know that it's easy. I I, I was sitting with some people in my office yesterday and we're talking about the hard-to-love people in our lives. It's a fact of life, man. If, if we could choose the people that we wanted to love, it would be so easy for us. We'd be the most loving people. But God brings difficult people into our lives so that we could learn what it is to love, so that we could grow in becoming more like Christ, so that we could love the people that are difficult to love. It's what G- Jesus did on the night he was betrayed, knowing that he would be sold out for silver, he still washed the feet of Judas Iscariot the one who would lead to his death in a matter of hours. Yet he loved him and he loved him, a person undeserving. He longed to have those kinds of relationships. There is an old song that says, to dwell above with ones we love, oh, that will be my glory. But to dwell below with ones I know, (laughs) well, that's another story. That's how we think, isn't it? What if God has called us to take that which is up there and to bring it down here? The kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The ethic and the love of the kingdom. We're going to live together with them. We're going to have slumber parties for all eternity. Then we need to learn what it is to walk with them here on earth. That's That's what Jesus says. And it's not just here. It's everywhere in the Bible. And to not do this is the stuff of wars, the stuff of crime, the stuff of terrorism. If you long for righteousness in that way, you hunger and thirst. Ultimately, you know, when we think about these things, the longing for righteousness, at the heart of it is a longing for Jesus. So let me make it simple. Do you hunger and thirst? Do you long for Jesus in your life? Do you long to meet with him when you come on Sunday morning? 
to the point where I'm not going to do certain things on Saturday night because that's going to rob me of hunger for God on Sunday morning. To the point where you come and you've prayed up, stored up, stayed up, readied up yourself to come into this place. You prayed for people, you prayed for me, you prayed for your praise team. So there's no room for judgment, no room for criticism, no room for why is he taking so long to finish this second point. Because you're ready and you're hungry for Jesus. Do you hunger for the word of God? Do you hunger for his presence in prayer? Do you hunger for more of God in worship? Because I tell you what, hunger is a sign that you're alive. Hunger is a sign that you're healthy. If you don't hunger for Jesus, could I tell you the truth here? The painful truth that maybe you're not spiritually alive the way that you think you are. It's not because you come to church that makes you alive. It's because you know you're dead and you come alive through giving your life to Christ. And he now lives in you. And if you know that you know that you know in your heart of hearts that you're alive and that Jesus is your Savior, if you don't hunger for Jesus, then maybe you're not healthy right now. And I'm glad that you've come because you've come in order to be filled. And you can be filled. Now, today is, is, is Mother's Day. And one of the things that I know hurts, uh, now that I look back on it, hurts my mom more than anything, is when I would come home from, or when I would come to the dinner table and I would say to her, I'm not hungry. <laughs> After she's slaved over the oven and made a meal, or slaved over the rice cooker and made a meal. The same thing with Olive when she makes a meal. And the kids say, no, I don't want it. Same thing for every, today's Mother's Day, maybe you'll take your mothers out to eat. A good friend of mine, this is so insightful, a good friend of mine said, when you go out to eat with your mother at a restaurant, don't ever show how much you love that food. If you don't show your mother how much more you love her cooking. Because she's the one who does it every day of your life. She's the one who does that. Don't speak too glowingly about the food you eat at wherever it is that you're going to go, make, especially not McDonald's or Burger King. Hopefully you don't take her there, and hopefully you don't rave about their food compared to your mom's. But she does that every day for you. And I would come home from school, and I would eat a bag of Doritos, like a whole big, not a little, not, a, not even a fun big batch, whatever those big, but the massive ones, like the big old ones. And I'd come home, and I'd say, Mom, I'm not going to eat rice, <laughs> Pop, because I ate dinner already. Like, what you talking about, Willis? What do you mean you ate dinner already? How are you going to eat dinner? You're like five years old. I ate Doritos. Like, boy, get that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Said, David, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Part of the reason why we don't hunger for the right things is because we've snacked on other things for too long. Doritos aren't a bad thing. They're a gift of God, I believe. <laughs> but when you eat it right before dinner, it keeps me from having the best thing. Could it be, y'all, that some of us are not hungry for God because we've filled ourselves with other things that have robbed our appetite of the one thing that will really leave us satisfied? What are you looking to to satisfy your heart? 
You look into your family. Look into money. Look into your degrees. Gotta, I just got to get this degree so that people can, can think highly of me. You're looking to uh, your future, your dreams. What are you looking to? What are we looking to? What am I looking to? If not for Jesus, it's not going to satisfy us. So what do you do? Here's the good news. Oh, well, one part of the good news is that our appetites can change. During Lent, I... You know, I'm the, before Lent, I'm the kind of person I love. I love drinking soda. Can of soda a day. It goes much better than water with pizza, you know. So better than milk with a burger. I like drinking a soda. But for Lent, I said, you know, I love soda. It's not like I don't dream about soda, but I like it. There are other things that I dream about that I needed to give up also. But... Maybe I'll give up soda. And a funny thing happened around the third week or the fourth week of Lent is I stopped wanting soda. You know what I wanted? Strangely enough, I wanted water and orange juice. My appetite began to change because my diet began to change. And when Easter came, see the stone is rolled away. I wasn't celebrating because I could drink soda, <laughs> even though I, I would have been a couple years back. In fact, I didn't really want to drink soda anymore. I just wanted a nice tall glass of ice water. It's weird how our diet can change our appetite, isn't it? And it's weird and interesting and insightful how spiritually the same thing can be true. Isn't that why we gave things up for Lent? And again, it's not like, ugh, I don't want to give anything up. That's so like, it's so whatever it is that you say, oh, it's so legalistic or everybody's doing on that. That's not the point. The point is this. Something has a hold of our hearts and then giving that up, it creates space for us to hunger for Jesus. Think about this. There was a time when many of us were once very passionate for God. On fire, where, you, where this describes you, you hungered and thirsted for Jesus. Let me ask, what happened to that hunger? Could it be that for many of us, that we began giving our appetite to other things? Begin giving ourselves to TV. And slowly but surely, our appetite began to change because our diet began to change, to video games, to rap music that wasn't honoring God, to you fill in the blank what that thing is for you. And, and can I invite us just to be honest about it? And let's be honest. I, I know you don't think that that's enslaving you, but can I tell you, it may not be enslaving you, but I'm pretty sure that if you're thinking about it a lot, talking about it a lot, that it's robbing you of hunger for Jesus. It doesn't have to enslave you to be harmful to you. It doesn't need to enslave you to be harmful to you. Is your hunger at a level where you want it to be, where God wants it, where it ought to be? He says, if it is, then you're going to be filled. You're going to be satisfied. If it's this hunger that you long for it, not a casual, I want more of Jesus, as long as it doesn't cost me anything, but a critical longing that says, even if I 
whatever it takes, whatever it takes, and what I want more of you. Why don't you do that? Why don't you take a month off from those things in your life? And if you don't know what that thing is, ask your husband, ask your wife, ask your mom, ask, your, ask the five people closest to you. What do you think it is for me? What do you think it is for me? Maybe Olive will tell me it's ESPN.com or BaltimoreOrioles.com. Maybe your spouse will tell you it's a hobby that you have. Maybe they'll tell you it's a TV show that you watch. I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for some, but you know better than I do if you're honest with yourself. What is that thing? Robbing you of hunger for Jesus. See, Piper says in his book, Hunger for God, the reason we're not hungering after God is not because we've eaten of God and been satisfied. It's because we've nibbled at the table for too long that we don't know what it is to hunger for the best in life. We've been nibbling. What are you nibbling on? So why is it that Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger? Because in no other context of life is mere hunger the prerequisite for satisfaction. And every other context is blessed are those who eat for they'll be satisfied. You ever look at a picture of steak? Oh, that makes me so hungry. And without ever eating the steak, you're satisfied? That's silly, but that's what Jesus is saying. Why? Oh, the conundrums and the questions of life. (laughs) We've talked about this, haven't we? That uh, when you're in school, you have this math book, and your teacher gives you homework. And she usually, at least when I was growing up, they gave us number one, three, five, seven, nine. Why? Because the odd numbers have the answer in the back of the book. I hated getting the even numbers because I couldn't check my answer in the back of the book. Check my answer. Not cheat, but check my answer. So I didn't like getting the even numbers. I always wanted to know that I could find the answer at the back of the book. The questions of life that permeated Jewish society and the questions of life that permeate every human mind. How can I enter the kingdom? How can I find comfort? How can I inherit the earth? How can I be righteous? How can I be filled? The Beatitudes are the answer at the back of the book. This is how. The only way through Jesus. He enters into the fray and says, before I came, you could have had none of this. You could have had none. You'd only long for it, but you could never have it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us, that Jesus Christ came and he is the righteousness of God. What does that mean? How can we have a right relationship with God? Because the righteousness of God has been revealed in Jesus. Not because of what you and I do. Because we, our righteous acts, are only filthy rags before him, the prophet Isaiah said. So how can we ever become righteous? Because the only truly righteous one came down into the world And when he began to speak this sermon, he says, now you can finally have it because of me, because of Jesus. That's why we sing my one defense, my righteousness. It's him. Oh, how I need you. That's why we long for him. That's what it means. How can we be holy? Only in having that relationship with the righteous one. Then we can live in holiness. We can grow in holiness because all of our unrighteousness has been just dumped upon Jesus so that he, the righteous one, in dying for us, could bring many sons and daughters to glory. Revelation chapter 7, 
says, on that day when you stand before the righteous one, there will be no more hungering. We will hunger no more. We will thirst no more. For all that we've longed for, we will have in full supply. He used to sing this song. There's only one heart that Jesus can't. It's a kid song. There's only one heart that Jesus can't fill. A heart that won't let him in. But if you will let him, Jesus will fill you again and again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's pray. Guys, let's, uh, let's, let's cash in. You've got a blank check. A promise that the world would trample over bodies in order to get. That you can be filled that you can be satisfied, that you can be truly happy and content. The prescription, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Can we come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. If Jesus is not where you go for righteousness, then you, like the Apostle Paul, will try to build your own righteousness only to find that he's been building up what he would later call dumb, trash, rubbish, scupula, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, his righteousness. Don't build towers of trash. Just come to Jesus. Surrender to him. Lord, I need you. Let's make some choices today. Can you, can you take a step of faith and make a hard choice right now to say, Lord, for the next month? I know it's not Lent. I know it's not detox, but for the next month, I know that my hunger for you is not where it ought to be. And probably the biggest culprit in my life is X, Y, Z. Maybe it's a thing. Maybe it's a thing you do. Maybe it's a show. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's some other idol, but whatever it is, why don't you make a hard choice right now? Otherwise, the opposite promise is true. If you're hungering and thirsting for anything else, you're not going to be satisfied. You won't. Please don't go down that road. You don't have to. Find in Him your all in all. Let's pray together for a couple moments. And I'll pray on our behalf. Let's pray. Commit and surrender. Lord, I need you. Take me. Take all of me. Let's commit our hearts and our lives to Lord Jesus.
for you is a long and distant reality. And I pray that you would help us to take a step of faith, to not just be hearers of the word, but to say, yeah, you know what? I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if it's going to work, but for the next month, I'm going to let go of something difficult. And in that place, I'm going to spend time with you in worship and praying and reading your word. And after a month to see if my love, my hunger, my holiness, my desire for Jesus has not increased to a level I haven't seen in a long time. And I pray that many of us would just take that step step of faith. Lord, I need you to know you. There's nothing better in life is to know you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Cause us to love you more and more each day. To hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for you. Knowing that if we do, that we will be filled. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.